What does the Canadian dairy industry and COVID-19 prevention have in common? Well, for starters, both of them require good biosecurity practices to help prevent disease spread. Fortunately, the Canadian dairy industry doesn't have many diseases that cause the kind of impact COVID-19 does, but that doesn't mean we can lower our guard. Preventing and controlling the spread of disease within and between herds is the name of the game. It's key for animal health and welfare and for our Canadian brand. So, what do we know about current diseases in the Canadian dairy industry? How are we doing when it comes to biosecurity? Well, that's our focus today. Welcome to another episode in the Dairy Farmer of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name's Stephen Roach. I'm an epidemiologist with a passion for dairy cattle health and welfare. I'm part of a team working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. David Kelton, a veterinarian and researcher at the University of Guelph. Dr. Kelton's research focuses on many different aspects of dairy cattle health and production. In 2015, he led the National Dairy Study, Canada's first nationwide study to gain insight into practices and decision-making on Canadian dairy farms. Part of that study looked at biosecurity practices and the diseases producers are aiming to manage or keep out of their herds. He and I sat down to discuss his perspective on what farmers can do to minimize the risk of infectious disease entry and spread throughout their herd, and the potential impact these diseases can have. So, let's jump in. Well, Dave, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with us today about biosecurity and and some of your perspective on how the Canadian dairy industry and probably some perspectives globally as well have um, have come to roost when it comes to biosecurity and, and disease prevention and control on farm. Thanks very much, Steve. Happy to be here. So, um, you know, we've had the chance before to chat with you a little bit, Dave, about some other topics and, and here in the context of biosecurity, wondering if you can give our listeners just a little bit of a sense of, of who you are, your role in the dairy industry and your background in some of this, this particular area. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm a faculty member in the Department of Population Medicine at the University of Guelph. I am a veterinarian and I've been working with the dairy industry and for the dairy industry for about 30 years. I have the pleasure of holding the Dairy Farmers of Ontario Research Chair in Dairy Cattle Health. And biosecurity really is about infectious disease control, which is, I think, right in the the sweet spot for, for myself as a veterinarian. In fact, I've been involved in biosecurity issues in the dairy industry on sort of a national and global basis for more than 20 years. In fact, I found last night as I was thinking about this um, milk producer article that uh, that I was part of in uh, 1998 talking about biosecurity for the dairy industry. So I feel I've been talking about this for a while. So you've got a bit of a perspective to give us. <laughs> I do. I do. So um, one of the things that I'm interested in as I've been having these conversations about infection control, biosecurity, I mean, we've got actually a lot of words to talk about disease prevention in, in general uh, on the farm is, is to talk a little bit about the why. Uh, why is biosecurity so important for dairy? And I think one of the contexts that I like to bring to this is that we've been more fortunate than many other livestock and poultry species when it comes to, uh, well, it's probably not, not too much to say devastating diseases, you know, 
significant outbreaks that have really impacted individual farms and, and large populations of animals as a whole. So are we just lucky in the dairy industry? And, and, and if, the, if that's so, is it still important for us to be diligent about this stuff? And so why is biosecurity something we really need to focus in on as dairy farmers in Canada? Yeah, great question, Steve. And and I think there are a number of ways to answer that. The the first way I'll answer that is quite often when we think of biosecurity and the first sort of the, the first construct that comes to mind um, amongst I think the dairy community is is foreign animal disease and so things like foot and mouth disease and, and so on. But in truth, that's only a small part of, of the big picture. I think most of it is focused on the other two elements, one of which is control of endemic diseases, diseases that we see quite commonly in many, if in some cases most herds, things like yonis, leukosis, and, and so on, that have an economic impact um, on the quality of the milk produced, the quantity of the milk produced, the efficiency of the farm, and then there's another aspect, too, in that we've got a group of infectious diseases that not only impact animals, but impact people. So zoonotic diseases, right? And uh, diseases that can be transmitted from animals to people. And so we worry about biosecurity also from the perspective of protecting human health and uh, milk quality and food quality, right? So things like Salmonella Dublin is a good example mm-hmm. of zoonotic disease that really is, is quite resistant to antimicrobial treatment. And as we think about diseases like that, that uh, we could be exposing farm families and farm visitors to, I think it uh, prompts us to think more seriously about um, why we really need to focus on biosecurity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like there's quite a few levels to this, you know, not just from the health and welfare and productivity of your own farm, but but probably the, well, those collective things of, of our industry as a whole. And then also it sounds like protecting from borders to protecting our supply chain a little bit, processors, consumers, and and everyone involved. Yeah, there certainly is an element that we're protecting the brand, if you will. But, um, you know, you you mentioned borders, but I think more and more what we're seeing in the global marketplace that um, as we move away from tariff-type barriers, we're looking at more and more jurisdictions that are looking at disease as one way to control animals and animal products moving into their market. And and so a lot of the European countries and Scandinavian countries have been successful in eradicating some of the diseases that are endemic here. And so that potentially has an impact on whether they will accept products or live animals or semen or embryos from our dairy industry and into their marketplace. So there is a global market implication here for sure. Yeah. I remember a number of people when talking about biosecurity say diseases don't typically obey borders. And so, you know, those that have been successful in in stamping those out uh, are, are more than just a little diligent at making sure they don't come back in. So ripple effects for sure. So one of the things uh, and one of the reasons I'm really excited to chat with you here, Dave, is that you helped lead a a group of Canadian researchers, a large team really, um, that came together to do Canada's first ever study looking at a variety of of aspects of of dairy management from everyday management to biosecurity to all sorts of other practices. Um, You asked some specific questions there about producers' perspectives on what they were trying to keep out from a disease standpoint, what they were trying to control. Um, Can you talk us a little bit about some of the some of the things that rose to the top for you when it came to learning about Canadian dairy farmers and what they think about disease management on their farm. 
Sure. So the uh, biosecurity was one of the key elements in our national dairy study. And, and as, as you know, um, that was really implemented in two phases. In, in 2015, uh, the first was a questionnaire administered or offered to all dairy producers in Canada. We had over 1,300 dairy producers who responded to the questionnaire. And then we followed that up with farm visits on about 375 farms across the the country in all 10 provinces. In both elements of that study, we had some questions focused on biosecurity. It was something that came out of our needs assessment as being front of mind for dairy producers and other people involved in the dairy industry. And so we were interested in a number of things. One is um, people's understanding of issues around biosecurity, implementation of sort of the, the common biosecurity practices on, on dairy farms. And, and that really falls into a number of different categories. Um, it looked at um, sort of issues of bringing disease onto farm, whether that's through the purchase of animals or animals leaving and coming back, or even people and, and other um, other ways that disease can get on farm. And then sort of the second level was disease transmission or control on those farms. How easily can it spread um, and what other control strategies were in place? So we asked a number of questions around that. We then probed that a little bit further and, and did some work to try to understand what dairy producers thought in terms of effectiveness and importance of those biosecurity practices. And some of the results of that were really quite interesting in that um, over 50% of the dairy producers that, that responded to our study really thought that by and large, the things that we recommended from a biosecurity perspective were effective and also important. And yet when we took that a step further and really looked at how many of those were implementing those practices, that number dropped quite a bit lower than that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, I think one of the things that we learned, which surprised me a little bit was, I don't think it's about selling the importance or the effectiveness of what we're talking about doing, but I think it just doesn't have the priority of some of the other activities that farmers get involved in on a day-to-day -day basis. And it sort of drops from being top of mind to something that that's sort of on the back burner and doesn't necessarily get attended to. It's interesting, in in because I think one of the things you hear a lot about too is, is in line with with priority is is sort of complacency, you know. And I guess you know again we're we're benefiting from the fact that we don't have some some diseases that maybe are are either large numbers of animals that are are sick from a specific disease, or in other cases we have a lot of diseases where we can't just visually observe their spread or, or their impact. And so it's, it, it can be an easy thing to let go sometimes. And most of these practices, uh, are, are daily at, at, you know, at minimum in terms of sustaining that, that behavior, that management practice time and time again. Right. And, and I, I agree with you. I think what's holding us back as an industry and, and on one level, it's a good thing is that we don't see the dead piles yep. that other commodity groups do, right, with some of their more devastating endemic diseases. So for sure that um, at least visually, we don't see the impact on a, of a lot of these diseases, given that most of what we see with things like yonis and leukosis are very much subclinical and, yep. and not necessarily apparent for sure. Yep. So um, what would the top two, three, four diseases be that, that producers said they were really trying to focus in on? So I think when we 
talk to producers and, and, and about what they were interested in and, and diseases they were interested in keeping out that were infectious diseases, certainly things like Yoni's disease and leukosis were fairly top of mind. Um, BVD was there. Staph aureus mastitis was there on the list. So a number of the things that we commonly think about and talk about on a day-to-day basis. Other things were calf diseases um, and even lameness to a certain extent when they think about things like digital dermatitis and, and so forth. Yep. And so most of those folks talked about those diseases as they're actively trying to control them or are those things they're trying to keep out or is it a a combination of the two depending on their individual status? So in general, I think there were sort of two camps. Those that feel that they don't have the disease are trying to keep them out. Uh, Those that have one or more of those diseases, I think they're they're aware of the fact that they should be and, and to a certain level are trying to control them, um, minimize the, the spread. Um, I think overall, very few really focused on eradicating those diseases. So it's mostly about either preventing introduction or limiting the, uh, the impact of diseases that are already present on their farm. Mm-hmm. Is, or were there any emerging diseases, um, that were captured as part of this? You know, you mentioned Salmonella Dublin. I realize that's been emerging a little bit more aggressively since since the study's been done, but anything there that was touched on? There wasn't a lot of discussion really about emerging diseases per se, but I think things like um, anaplasmosis is, is one that, again, um, we're probably talking about a little bit more today even than back five years ago when the study was done just because of things like climate change mm-hmm. and, and uh, being a vector-borne disease and, and so forth. Uh, certainly Salmonella Dublin is a big one. The other thing to recognize is that regionally, um, Canada is a big country, and, and so in some parts of the, the country, even Quebec, Salmonella, Dublin has probably been more prevalent and, and has been there longer than in Ontario, for instance. So there were some regional differences in terms of what producers were aware of, what they were thinking about, and what they were looking for in, in terms of prevention and, and focus on emerging diseases. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else from the study or from the other the other work that you've been doing that that has um, surprised you or or you know on the other hand concerned you as you looked you know to see either levels of disease on on farms across Canada or about you know implementation what what are we seeing actually being done on farms or not being done depending on the perspective. Yeah, so a couple of things that I think came into focus as, as we looked at the results from the, the National Dairy Study. One is that, you know, we talk a lot in the industry and, and across many agricultural and, and animal industries about closed herds and, and what that means. And one of the things we asked producers was whether they considered their herd to be closed. And well over half of them responded yes. And then in a follow-up question, we said, well, have you purchased or brought onto the farm animals in any of these categories? And that was milking cows, dry cows, calves, and animals going to shows and returning. And again, over 60% of them in a one-year period had done that. So there's a little bit of a disconnect and I think a misunderstanding about what a closed herd truly is. And so again, I think it's, it's about refocusing and, and our communication, and it always comes back to communication, right? And, and uh, about what a closed herd really is. And it includes those calves that may go to a 4-H show and, and then return and, and all those types of things. 
I think the other thing that um, was certainly crystallized for me is the risk of introducing animals from outside the farm. I think there's an old saying, and, and I wish I knew who, knew who said it originally, but that diseases are bought and paid for. Right. Um, you know, and, it, and it's the notion that when producers were asked, they knew the right answer, right? They knew that they should, if they're going to buy, buy from respectable sources, buy from farms that they knew something about the health status, Depending on what they were interested in controlling on their own farm, they should probably segregate, if not quarantine, the animal on arrival. They should probably do some testing. So they knew what they should do, but again, how many of them actually did that was remarkably small. And, and so I think we've got a ways to go to get the implementation side of the equation. I mean, if we just sort of brainstorm for a minute... What do you think is the limitation there? Is it is it or the 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 rationale or the reason for for not doing some of these things? Take testing for example, or sourcing from a variety of different herds versus one. Is it is it the logistics of it? Is it the cost associated with it? Is it the you know the practicality of having? I mean, I know we have lots of conversations about I don't have an area to quarantine or segregate my animals. So I guess I'm trying to think: is it is it that you know, producers out there that are that are say looking to expand, buying a number of cows that they're buying from where they have access to and, and the means to do, and and ultimately they're simply saying it's not that I don't believe this is important, but I just simply don't have the facilities to accommodate that. Or are there other issues at play? I guess in my mind, Steve, there there are probably two issues at play. The first is, as you say, a lot of our farms, and that includes our new construction, really hasn't taken into account this segregation, right? A lot of farms don't have a good place to keep those new arrivals where they can milk them and feed them without having a lot of extra labor. And even in in terms of looking at within herd transmission, right? We have a lot of facilities that have been built where they have pens that double both as, as sick pens and as calving pens. So even in terms of on-farm um, transmission. So I think our design and building of dairy facilities in general, and certainly from a historic perspective, hasn't really incorporated some of those design aspects that it could. I think some of that is changing, and, and I hope it will continue to evolve. I think the second thing is that, and, and part of it may be a function of our supply management system, is that buying decisions sometimes are made fairly quickly and, and abruptly where depending on um, milk production and, and incentive days and all those types of things, um, or conversely even quota cuts, decisions are made about buying or selling animals fairly abruptly. And so there isn't necessarily an opportunity for a lot of forward planning about where we're going to source animals from or or how we're going to do that, or conversely, how we're going to advertise animals for sale. Mm -hmm to, um, you know, for a high, if we consider ourselves a high health herd, we should be potentially harvesting a premium for those animals. And yet as an industry, we haven't adopted that mindset. So I think those are probably the, the key factors in play. Then certainly the other one being, um, you know, the, the day-to-day -day activities on a dairy farm are complex. There are a lot of things that um, that dairy producers think about. And um, again, biosecurity tends to be one of those that they pay lip service to, 
from time to time, but is not top of mind on a, on a day-to-day basis. So I guess as we round out some of the thinking on, on you know, what can producers do and, and, and you know, where can we go from here, um, ProAction is requiring that Canadian dairy farms spend a bit more time talking about this, developing a lot of p- protocols around specific areas of risk. And you've mentioned some of those already, whether it's, you know, within herd transmission, um, bringing folks in from outside or animals in from outside and, and the associated risks around that. What what would you suggest producers be thinking about when they're developing these protocols or having discussions about them? There's a, certainly lots of, of folks that will look at this as another piece of paperwork that needs to be done, but clearly there's there's a, a real need for these types of things and real merit or value in having them. So what's the mindset we'd like to you know producers to bring to to this sort of exercise? I think as and and so I had some involvement in the development of the biosecurity component of, of proaction and and I guess my approach to this is that it's really about a risk assessment and then implementing a response to that risk assessment in other words in a lot of our other commodity groups poultry and and swine we sort of take an all perils approach right try to keep every disease out I think the way our dairy industry exists every farm's a little bit different I think their disease risk and their disease profile is a little bit different and I think the place to start is is having that conversation between the producer and the veterinarian about what are the key disease concerns on that particular farm, one or two diseases that they don't have that they're trying to keep out, one or two diseases that they might have and are trying to control, and then go through the proaction risk assessment and, and really look at and, and identify those areas of, of risk for those particular diseases. So make it a very targeted approach. And quite often, one is able to narrow that down to one or two significant changes or one or two areas of focus that if those are implemented and if those are are taken care of on a day-to-day basis and become part of the routine, part of normal operating procedures, I think can have a major and and significant impact and and garner some benefit. So I think it's really whittling it down and, and like most things, not having a laundry list of things to do, but having one or two focused things that by agreement with, you know, the veterinarian and the producer, they'll say, if we do this and if we do it well, will decrease the risk or will decrease the overall prevalence of disease. Mm-hmm. So in other words, walk before you run. Absolutely. It's a stepwise procedure. And, and um, I think that's like all things. I mean, we talked about that in, in terms of uh, animal care, mm-hmm. milk quality, all of these things. And biosecurity is no different. You know, we're not going to get to the end in one leap. It's going to be a slow but, but hopefully progressive process. So if we think a little bit more big picture, how would you say we as Canadian, well, Canadian dairy industry in general, how are we doing? What are, what are the things, some of the things that you think we're doing well and, and where, where do we need to continue to drive this moving forward? So I think one of the things we are doing well, and, and I'm encouraged by the fact that biosecurity is part of the ProAction program. So I think we're raising the profile. I think we're bringing it into the conversation so I think that's that's the first step, awareness. I think the second thing that clearly we've done well, at least based on our National Dairy Study Survey, is, is that producers, I think, recognize the importance and the effectiveness of some of the things we're trying to promote. I think the next step now is, is putting it into action. I think that's where 
<clears throat> we haven't done a, a particularly good job in Canada. I don't think we're alone. I think biosecurity is one of those things in the dairy industry globally that gets ignored and, and put on a back burner. But certainly from a North American perspective, I think we're um, trailing the rest of the world, certainly Europe, in, in some of the uh, aspects of putting biosecurity into into play and into a part of a normal routine. And so I think that's our biggest challenge now. Not only understand the importance, but also put it into action and start start to take those steps that hopefully will uh, uh, will help us improve the overall health and and welfare of our national dairy herd. Mm-hmm. And it's it seems like we can take a lot of lessons learned from either individual producers that have had the uh, you know the unfortunate circumstances of dealing with some of these uh, these diseases, or countries that have, like you say, have have come up against you know regulatory challenges or or trade barriers as a result of different disease statuses. And so you know we can really embrace that proactive versus reactive approach. You know. Being a you know benefiting from having an industry that you know has many many things that we can work on, but many other things that we've got strengths on, and, and several diseases we've successfully been able to keep out of of the country and out of most herds as well. So, no, that's that's great. Yeah, I think I think as you know when when we look at ourselves as as a country, we've really had some remarkable successes in that we've been able to eradicate some diseases. Think about brucella and TB and and even strep ag to a large extent. So when as a country and as an industry, we've put our minds to it and had a little bit of prodding sometimes from uh, uh, from government or, or, or processors, um, we've been able to accomplish some good things. And so I think there are some opportunities. I still think there's some low-lying fruit that we can capitalize on as we move forward. Yep. And that was going to be the last thing I, I hit on there, Dave, was, was sort of advice or low-hanging fruit opportunities for vets and producers out there, obviously our, our key target audience here. Um, any sort of final words for them as they think about how applying proaction, applying conversations with their staff, their family, their advisors about this? So I think biosecurity, more so than any of the other components of proaction, is definitely in the wheelhouse of veterinarians. And I really urge all veterinarians across the country to take this opportunity, use the proaction risk assessment tool and, and the other uh, components that are available and, and start that conversation with their producer clients. I think their producer clients will be receptive. Maybe not all of them, but I think most of them. I think, again, given that they recognize the importance and, and believe they're effective, I think they need a bit of a nudge. But I think the, um, the opportunity is there. I think it's there as an opportunity for veterinarians. I think it's in, there as an opportunity for producers to take that next step. And, and uh, I think that's, that's really where we need to move as an industry is now stop just talking the talk, but walk the walk, as it were. And, and the collective population are being forced into a lot of biosecurity, infection control-like uh, conversations at the moment with COVID. So maybe there's uh, some lessons learned from there that, that also helps uh, motivate some behavior change on all of us, not just uh, us farmers out there. Well said. <laughs> so Dave, for producers that are uh, listening or anyone listening for that matter, uh, who are interested in learning a little bit more about some of the insights you've shared, and, and I think many others from the National Dairy Study or just biosecurity in general, um, where might you point them in terms of, of finding out more information online? 
Yeah, Steve. So in fact, we have a National Dairy Study website. It's www.nationaldairystudy, all one word, .ca. And uh, it's it's publicly accessible to producers, veterinarians, and other industry personnel. And in there, we have everything from infographics to links to um, publications and journals. And we've had a number, uh, the third one just got accepted last week, um, that focus on biosecurity and, and what we've learned about biosecurity from the National Dairy Study. So I definitely urge people to uh, to go there and have a look at uh, what we've done and what we've learned. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for doing this, Dave. I think that's a great place to end and, uh, and hopefully some good lessons learned for our, our listeners. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series. The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca, and don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal, provincial, territorial initiative. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 